What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Salt for Life vlogcast. This is episode number 35, and I'm joined by my new co-host for the week, maybe forever, Andre Hangshua. What's up, Matt? How's it going, man? Matt, the the backbreaker Berkey, huh? <laughs> I'm fucking... Dude, what, what's going on with you I'm right now? I'm completely busted. So I, I like hurt my back five or six years ago mm -hmm. in the dumbest way possible. I was doing plyometrics in a pool. And I slipped and something happened where like, uh, I landed like on the step with one foot and missed the step with the other and it okay. just jarred my hips. So they were like kind of displaced. And I walked around like uh, the old man from up for like a week, just hunched over it ended up self healing. No big deal for five years. I'm totally fine. In October, I tweak it like playing softball and same thing. Like my belly button's crooked. Sure, sure. I'm hunched over. I'm just like, oh, this is miserable. So I start going to a chiropractor. Didn't help. I go to a trainer who specializes in movement. Didn't help. Go to a different chiropractor. I finally, like, it gets alleviated. But it's just it, it just hasn't been right. Like, uh, they found arthritis in my lower back whenever they took x-rays and stuff. Damn. So the muscle aspect, like, all seemed to work itself out. But then, like, the arthritis was just, like, this dull pain every time I lift in. It's just kind of, like, whatever. But I've been powering through. So I go play softball again last night. Okay. On the on the uh, advice of my chiropractor, it was just like, hey, you're fine. Go ahead and get back out there. First fucking swing, man. I'm just, like, hobbling down the first base. Unreal. Matt, you know what it is. I'm you're old. old, bro. Yeah, I'm old. You're old. Happy birthday. Thanks. <laughs> People don't know how how young are you? I'm 38. Oh, it's it's over. I'm so not only am I like, old physically, but I'm so fucking ancient for poker. Yeah, totally. Like I have no business being in this career field any longer. It's funny. You're one of the first pros that I actually like knew of uh, when I first got into poker, which wasn't uh, too long ago, probably like 2014 ish. Okay. Um, you're one of the first ones. I don't know whether it's because of you know TV and stuff or whether it's because of um, uh, just. I'm, I imagine Overall. it's our collective group. Yeah, I mean, I was friends with Dan O'Brien, with Jason Somerville, obviously. Yeah. And then uh, you were always with Dan O'Brien at the time, so. Yeah, it, it was, was uh, God. Yeah. those days. Different times. <laughs> Different times. Uh, my back you know, was healthy when I had to battle Dan all I, the time. I set you up perfectly, though. You, I, I said your back is broken. You could have been like, man, it, yeah, because I'm always carrying this company because Chin's not here. No, that's true. That is definitely true. Uh, the shoulder, shouldering the load. Well, what's up with that kid? Like, this is what kills me, right? Like, Chin, I I think he really is a star. I yeah. think on a, a podcast, on a, just a regular broadcast, that guy, kid shines not only in his poker, but his charisma, his, his just enthusiasm for the poker. And he's just like MIA. I don't know what's going on with him. Yeah, man, he likes home. Mm. You know, the mics are here. His yeah. body's in Jersey. His heart's at home. He's just, uh, it's its funny. Like, we have this ongoing joke between, like, him and the group, basically. Sure. Where uh, when holidays come up or, or basically anything that's, like, semi-emotional, we're all just a bunch of grizzled old men who've been in poker <laughs> for way too long and, like, are just drained of emotion at this point. And he'll just always be like, man, you white people are cold. <laughs> it's, it's funny. He adapted to poker, right? Yeah. Like, you guys were, were born into poker. You know, well, you know, we all we all grew up through like this trauma and struggle, yeah, and, like yeah, our yeah. parents don't love us, and we don't get hugged <laughs> enough as a kid. And like he grew up in this household of like his mom and four sisters, and like he's the baby boy, and you know they just coddle his ass. I can imagine that like he's never walked through the door and didn't get at least one hug, if not a myriad of hugs. 
So it's like, you know, he's, he's just operating from a different, uh, I guess, like mental framework where like, you know, we're all the Goggins of this shit. And he's just kind of like uh, missing home a little bit. He's an interesting guy, man. Like, I think uh, he has a tremendous amount of potential. Um, you know, I've, for those that don't know much about me, I, I was really into the esports scene mm. uh, before poker. Um, there's not a lot of people that are naturally fit for a microphone. And for Christian, not having any training, uh, it's it's crazy how relatable he is. Yeah. And I do want to get into a lot of that and just the idea of your podcast because I do consume a lot of your content. Like, yeah. I think you guys put out some awesome stuff. Um, man, uh, he he needs to get back out here. Chris, Christian, <laughs> get back here. You, you do, bro. You do. No, I, I, I honestly totally agree. Um, and in some regards, I think it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, He's going to hate me for saying this, but like, uh, ever since I met the kid, like mm-hmm. I've never seen anybody with a trajectory like his. And when I first met him, I thought that was mostly born out of hard work. Mm-hmm. So he was, you know, he was just so hungry when I met him. Like he was insatiable. There was just, you couldn't give him enough information. He just consumed it all. And the trajectory I thought that that built for a poker career was just going to be like limitless, especially in like 2014, 15 pre-solvers where it was like you needed that type of hunger to kind of navigate a path where you're kind of cutting your own trail sure um and the same thing with like commentary and all these all these other things where his personality gets to shine like the core of his personality is what makes him so likable and so relatable but he grinded people like shulman and other experts and like trying to understand what it takes to be a host to be uh, a color guy to be the one calling the action whatever and he's just naturally good at being able to apply that kind of stuff where it ends is the like confirmation that he's very talented sure like that's validating enough i think you know instead of like you know winning all the money and getting all the accolades i think there's uh, throughout my life i've coached a lot of people in starcraft uh that's my main esport but i've coached a lot of people in that game in particular uh there is this type of personality person where I, you know, the 80-20 rule, basically 80% of anything that you learn can be done in 20% of the time. And then the other 80% of the time, uh, it takes to learn the 20% left. Um, I find that there's a ton of these people that are just naturally good at picking up things and learning things. Mm -hmm. And they learn 80% of it real quick. Yeah. And they feel accomplished and feel great about it. Yeah. And um, because, you know, you have that separation, like, man, that's where the average is. You know, it's 30% ago yeah. and I'm already here. These guys are a bunch of chumps and you, you get to this level of success. And then um, grinding that last bit out is just too much of a pain, yeah. right? Like you've seen this astronomical growth all the way up there. And then and then it's just like, what am I doing? Why is it worth it? And then they just stop. And I'm not necessarily saying Christian is like that. But I wonder if he is. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of it's like born out of like risk aversion sure. because, uh, you know, he's the one guy that I know that's like never been broke. And I'm not even saying that like in my close inner circle, like, you know, guys our age and I'm including him. He's 31 now. It's like mm-hmm. he, he lumps into that pre Black Friday phase. You just don't make it this far without ever being at risk. And that's a strange thing for me to navigate. And, uh, you know, I, I just like wonder... I always, I, I, this is why I said he's going to hate for me, me for saying this, but like I've always ruffled his feathers, like calling him a paper champ because <laughs> there's just nobody who looks better on paper 
than Chin. It's just like he has all the tools, man. He just yeah. adapts. It's like he he's this perfect hybrid of like old school mentality mended with the the new school like study and and uh, theory and everything else. But when it comes to actually getting in the ring, taking shots, recognizing that like you belong and everything else, they're so few and far between. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know like if it's just a lack of hunger for making money or if like he's comfortable at the level. But, you know, he's now been in the game for seven, eight years. And if we wrote down the resume, it's just like there aren't very many like strong bullet points here. Sure. It's like, you know, one or two big sessions at high stakes that went well. Well, this is why I think the bet that you have with him is so important, in yeah. my opinion, yeah, because yeah. you get to realize completion one way or the other. Sure. And, and you get to see what he really is made of. Yeah. Because yeah. that is a tough bet. And for those of you that don't know at home, he has to lose like 16 or 20% body fat, something crazy. He, he, had to cut, he has to cut his body fat in half. So I think he measured it 38.5 to begin with. Okay. Uh, so he needs to get to like 19.25. Which is tremendously hard to do. I'm 18 and a half percent. I've been working out my entire life. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's crazy. The so, fact that you're 18%, even that is like, there's room to go. I know you can go down to like 12. Yeah, I've, I've been as low as like uh, 11 or 12 that's uh, when I was a collegiate athlete. But you know, incredible. I'm old and broken now. Sure. So it's yeah. a little more difficult. You have but, no back. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like initially when I presented him with the bet, I wanted to bet that I could cut half of my body fat before he cut it half before he cut half of his, which is just insane yeah. because at the time that I was talking, it was, I was probably like 20. So for me to get to 10 is just like a Herculean task. But I also felt like it was probably going to be just as hard for him to get to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because, you know, like I, I don't know if everybody really conceptualizes the parameters of all this, but it's like chin was like 275 or 280 at his peak. Wow. And when we made this bet, he was down to 230. Wow, that's good, actually. That's great, yeah. right? He's 50 pounds down, but he's still 40% body fat. Yeah. So it's just like to lose 50 pounds and know that it barely made a dent in the number that we're actually betting on really paints the picture of like how big of a mountain he has to climb. Sure, definitely. But, you know, it, it does melt off, especially if he makes a complete lifestyle change, right? Like that's yeah. what it, that's what you're really telling him to do. It's... Um, have a drastic lifestyle change to where it's healthier for the future. Uh, well, it, and, and it's the added fine. layer of being active, right? Because he yes. made a lifestyle change to lose 50 pounds. Okay. Yeah. But it was a dietary one. Mm-hmm. If you make a dietary change and you're still sedentary, you'll lose a lot of weight, but you'll still be soft as fuck. Yeah. So it's like this bet requires the addition of mass muscle, right? So it's just like, he has to turn himself into a, a grizzled rock. Yeah. And you know, a lot of what I was betting against was, just how how big of a task that is to undertake. And it's not even that I want him to lose. I, I really want him to win. No, no, no. It fires me up that he gets so passionate every time he talks about this. And I'm sure he'll see this and he's just like fired up some more. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not doing myself any service. <clears throat> no, 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 you're not. <laughs> By trash talking Chin, you're not going to do it. But but you're it is one of those it. things where it's like, you, you know, uh, I first of all, like I, I have some experience with this. When I went from high school to college, uh, I was chubby and I was definitely out of shape. So... I went from being a high school athlete to a collegiate athlete. And that's a bigger jump than anybody can really understand. Just to get into uh, training camp for, for baseball, and these numbers are so laughable now, but you had to run a seven-minute mile and you had to run a 40-yard dash in uh, under eight seconds. Or sorry, a 60-yard dash in under eight seconds. So to give you some ideas of like what good times are, 
um, an average athlete could probably run a six minute mile, no problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, you know, a first baseman on a baseball team will run like a seven five uh, sixty, which is, you know, a little bit below average for any sort of like collegiate talent. I ran an eight five sixty, and I almost threw up running an eight minute mile. Oh my lord! So I spent the first month just conditioning myself to actually get to the. And it wasn't that I couldn't run faster. It wasn't that I was slow. It was just I had never worked in that sort of capacity. My VO two max was just trash, and you know I had no endurance. I, I I had no grit. I never had to push myself. I was just like better than everybody in high school, and that got me by. So, you know, by the time, like, it came time to get tested again, I was able to get sub-8 and sub-7. By the time, uh, I ended up getting cut after that season and transferring. By the time I was halfway through my second season um, at my new school, I had completely flipped the switch. So, over that 18 months, I did nothing but work. Now, I was running, like, just north of five minutes for a mile. Wow. And just north of seven seconds for a 60. And it's like, I know what I had to do to go through that. And I know how big the reward was for me because I so desperately wanted to play that it kept me driving. But I also know I was hurt along the way. I know that I was passing out along the way, throwing up. I was just doing things that like were not natural to me in everyday life. And that's ultimately like what I was betting against is that struggle of not getting to what you think your max capacity is, but like actually breaching 80% of your real capacity. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with Christian, he has to be very careful to to teeter that line because yeah. especially when you're on the decline, if you get hurt um, and you have to take off for a couple of weeks, man, that it, that activation energy to get back in there oh, yeah. is so brutal. Yeah. Like that can be a, a complete back killer in my opinion. Well, that's why I laid such a big price. Yeah. Uh, I think the probability of him getting hurt is probably greater than the probability of him actually failing this bet. I, sure. I think it's probably like, you know, 70% likely that he has an injury that keeps him out for at least a week or two. Yeah. And maybe like 30% likely that he just fails because of injury period. Sure. I think honestly, Christian should do jujitsu. I'm big into that. I think it's um, entirely safe as long as you're not like throwing as much. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're starting on the ground, uh, you're using your entire body. It gets you really lean, really fast and it burns more calories than running. You know? Yeah. I think that's like a great solution. For the, the caloric deficit though, I don't think is his challenge. It's actually building the muscle yeah. that I think is going to be the biggest problem. He's never really lifted up until, you know, maybe a few months ago. Sure. So like, uh, personally, if I were in his shoes, uh, I would have hired, basically I would have paid for motivation. Um, because I don't think that you can cross those thresholds of discomfort yep. without somebody holding you accountable yep. every step along the way. You know, I, I talked about the activation energy. I think really fundamentally with any of these goals that you set, it's all about that because, you know, I have the capacity every single night to, you know, do that extra mile or, um, you know, study a little bit harder. Mm. Um, but you know, what I try to do is like, uh, control my surroundings as much as possible. I don't want to get into like self-help uh, yeah, you know, type of stuff too much, but like I, I really think it is about controlling your surroundings and, and hiring that motivation is a big part of it. Like for me, I make sure uh, on my computer, like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, all that is just banned. Yeah. So it's just not part of my my environment anymore. And that way I can like focus. It, it just like nudges me to focus are, in are more on that stuff. Are you more of the type of person who's extrinsic, 
intrinsically motivated or uh extrinsically i think i'm both at times okay. it just depends yeah. I, I i i haven't really figured out exactly what makes what motivates me with any of the stuff that i do sometimes it's completely like ego yeah um and sometimes it's just like i'm doing it for other people yeah it just depends what it is i i can actually like pretty much pinpoint the switch in my life okay where i went from being um externally motivated to intrinsically and I think uh, it was probably somewhere in like the mid 2000s, right around whenever I moved out here. Um, it was just one of those things where I was far enough removed from college and any hopes of a baseball career that I had. Actually, I know exactly when it was 2007 that I had like no real reason to be uh, as active or athletic as I was in the past. But I had like such a, I guess like, emptiness to me where that was such a big part of my life for so long and poker wasn't fulfilling the entirety of it right poker was like doing a good job of filling my competitive side and everything mm -hmm. else um so i decided to just like join a baseball team out here and i started doing p90x and shockingly enough p90x was like the thing that switched the 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 or flipped the switch from uh external to intrinsic because up until that point everything we were doing was for the shine right Everything I did at practice, yeah, I wanted to be the best and I was motivated by that. And yeah, I wanted to be a leader. But at the end of the day, I wanted my coaches to notice me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the first one there and the last one to leave. Not necessarily because I felt that that was the most optimal approach, but because I knew that they would know sure. I was the first one there and last one to leave. And that would get me propelled towards the goal that I wanted, which was to be the ace and to, to have a shot at things. Whenever I had to show up 90 days in a row, at my, you know, local gym or uh, if I did it at home or whatever, where nobody's watching and nobody's going to pat you on the back for doing your work and nobody's going to hold you accountable for actually putting forth 100% effort into the workout. First week or two, it was literally just like, this is hard. Uh, I'm going to take more rest and I'm going to do all these things to like find the cheats throughout. Mm -hmm. And then like you start to see some results and you start to just like question like, why are you so weak? Why are you so mentally fragile here? And at that point, like I just finally dedicated to it. And it's such a stupid little thing. It's a dumb 90 day program that isn't all that fruitful, but I was in the best fucking shape of my life afterwards. Wow. From P90X. From P90X. That's wild. The literally push-ups, pull-ups, and like a bunch of other nonsense. But it forced me into a position to like stop saying like, ah, I don't need cardio to get into good shape or I don't need to do this, that, or the other. It was just like, just listen to somebody else tell you what to do and do it. Yeah. It's interesting that I've never really been asked what my motivation is. So I've never actually taken time to think of why I do things mm -hmm. day to day. Like um, even like why I'm working at Run It Up. Yeah. You know, because the poker market is like tiny compared to esports right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Like I have my, I definitely have my reasons for, for why I, I'm in fields and stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I'm just reflecting right now, thinking of like, uh, where my motivation comes from. And I think some of the things that you're talking about, I definitely resonate with. Um, I, I think I'm like brutally harsh with anything that I'm like my hobbies, yeah. like just super, super harsh. That That's the only way you get into esports. You have to be that really- makes sense really into um your disposable time i yeah. guess yeah um 
I don't know. It's it's a really interesting thing. Next time we come on, I'll I'll kind of lay it out a little bit more. Okay, I, I can fill in a little <clears throat> bit of the gaps. I think that you're the little bit I know about you. I think like you're a relatively empathetic person who seems to formulate goals around greater good, which I think is like super admirable. So when you're talking about you know why are you run it once or sorry run it up instead of uh, at the esports or um, you know, why did you dedicate yourself to, to these types of things? I think a lot of it's because it's team oriented and you fall into a natural, natural leadership role within these teams, but not in a drill sergeant beat them down kind of way. Oh, I definitely do that though. I'm sure you sure. do. Okay. But I think like people resonate with you and are quick to follow because you're a lot more of a, Hey, we're all in this together kind of thing. Sure. You know, uh, since I was younger, I asked my mom this when I was probably like 10 because I was really big into volunteering at that time. Uh, all all throughout uh, growing up, I was really into volunteering. But uh, I had this like this joy out of just feeling like maybe not I'm better than these people because I'm volunteering, but I felt like really good, yeah. you know, for, from volunteering. And I was questioning like, uh, is... Th- because I feel so great from this volunteering, does it really, uh, does it take away from it, right? And, yeah. and it's kind of similar to this, not quite, but it's that whole uh, question of um, if I'm deriving like pleasure out of uh, being empathetic, yeah, you know, um, is it more self-serving? Well, that's kind of like the thing, uh, there, there's a Friends episode uh, that, that kind of talks about this, that altruism in and of itself is a paradox mm-hmm. because in essence, no, in essence, no good deed comes without reward. Yeah. So the, the episode goes like, uh, Phoebe is basically trying to make this point that like, there's no good deed you can do that's selfless. And they run through like all these examples and eventually they all come back and you know, they're all kind of selfish acts. And I do think that that's true, but I think if we had a tangible way to measure, uh, your self fulfillment versus like the good that was done, or like the the amount of uh, reach that that good had, it would almost always so greatly outweigh towards the mass that um, it's pretty easy to just overlook like what our motives are. Yeah, you know, fundamentally why I'm at Run It Up, I think, is because of my relationship with Jason. Like yeah. I've had. Oh, he scooped you up early. Oh, he did. He's uh, like, you're good at shit, and you like poker. Come with me. Oh, uh, it's funny because <laughs> you know it, it just started out. We okay. I was uh, a professional StarCraft player, yeah. StarCraft One and StarCraft Two, um, and he started a training website for StarCraft Two. So Star- I vaguely remember this because yes. I did the I did the training with uh, him and Russell for the November Nine. Yes, and we the only thing I know is a Dan was obsessed with starcraft Obs- he, i'm sure he still is drove me fucking insane oh my yeah God. you have an aside i have an aside <laughs> go ahead though um but like the chips we played with yes were these like starcraft i had no fucking clue what yeah. i'm looking at so before we go into that story um you know i there was a time i, I don't know when it was maybe 2016 or something like that i just said you know starcraft I, i'm not doing anything it's either i'm all the way in or all the way out i yeah. can't do this half-ass thing where I'm just a decent player, but what am I really playing for anymore? Yeah. You know, it's not satisfying to be shitty at a game. Right. right. I, I want to be the best. I have that competitive drive. So I, I kind of said, it's either I'm all the way in and I'm playing full time or I'm all the way out and I'm never playing again. So I uninstalled it. Two years later, probably oh, last year, last, no, three years later then, 
last year, I was like, all right, I'm just going to install for the first time in forever. Just play a game. Who do I see online? <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking Dan O'Brien. Yep. And I was like, Dan, I thought you quit. He's like, oh, I just installed it. Yeah, I just yeah, installed sure. it. I was like, <laughs> wow, I just installed it too. We play like 10 games throughout the night. We win like basically every single game, yeah. of course, because, you know, my MMR is lower. His MMR is lower. Yeah. But, you know, he hasn't played in forever. Sure. Um, and it's just funny. I was like, all right, I'm gone. I'm I have a great story. I, I lived with him for six years, I think. Maybe maybe almost seven. Yeah. And honestly, like, one of the things that annoyed me the most about being roommates with him and uh, our mutual friend Tyler were that they were so obsessed with StarCraft. Uh-huh. Like, to me, I just don't get it. Like, I don't get e-gaming because, uh, yeah, I grew up playing video games, but it was, like, mostly sports games, uh, the occasional RPG. And I just never got into the the whole um, like StarCraft, World of Warcraft, all that other stuff. So they would obsessively play, but they don't do so just quietly. First of all, they don't engage with you whatsoever. He would be the type to ask a question and then fire up a game and just never listen to the response. <laughs> and it's just like, this is infuriating. But him and Tyler, you know, they, they would just be gaming all day long. And when we got our pup, uh, Gatsby... Obviously, he's mine now because of what I had to do year one because they were so shitty as dog parents. But he's like three, four months old, something like that, barely housebroken, if at all. And he shits under Tyler's desk while him and Dan are playing StarCraft. And they're just going nuts. You know, they have the speakers blasting. So all I hear about is Vespian gas or whatever the Uh, fuck is going on. And Tyler's like, yeah, yeah, mash him, mash him. And he's stomping his foot over and over and over again. So finally, after an hour of them just blasting away at this video game, Dan's like, I smell shit. And Tyler's like, yeah, I do too. And he looks and he had just smeared shit all into the carpet for what he was stomping during the game. It was disgusting. That's brutal. You know, you mentioned that story and it sounds so... uh obviously it is horrible but like just think of that hyper focus that you get with something it doesn't matter what it is right that hyper focus you get with um starcraft in particular or this competition where you're trying to execute something and you're so in there that everything else you lose your surroundings now of course that's also addiction to some extent (laughs) but but that that is something that is like i think humans crave that yeah, like yeah. we're looking for that one thing to just go all in with and just feel accomplished with it. I think StarCraft is one of those things because it's it's competitive against it's against a human, but it has its own physics for you to explore and adventure and find out. Yeah. And then there's always these new little, you know, 1%, 0.5% increases uh, where you just know a mechanic that they don't. And right, it's like, right. wow, you, I can do so many cool things with this now, yeah. right? There, there's so many ways to be creative. It's not a game that really feels figured out. And uh, Blizzard's been a little bit better at changing the game to make it a lot more fun. I think you touched on something really important there. Uh, and I would push back maybe ever so slightly, but you say like th- this is a, a pursuit that like humans are, are after. And I, I think that like there needs to be a qualifier there because I think that there is a great divide between people who are you know, like frontiersmen and pioneers and like just desperately crave the idea of creation versus those who just like want to be the developers, want to be the the soldiers or the worker bees. Like there's a big subset of people who would just much prefer a simple life of being told to like do X, Y, and Z and then, you know, enjoy your free time to do whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. But this other subset that, uh, you know, I'm kind of referencing which I obviously relate to, 
the 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 thirst is like so difficult to quench and i think that like that's what we all begin to struggle with once we hit our 30s and 40s especially you know i i don't i can't really speak to this because i never really did the nine to five but especially if you're pigeonholed more into that traditional path yeah where it's like we're turning these outlets to games because we're running out of ways to like fulfill them otherwise and i think that's kind of scary especially like on the 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 precipice of ai automating all of these other jobs where it's just going to be like you know what are we left to develop because it can't stop there like the innovators have to innovate so where do we go from here is is kind of like the next big question i'm kind of confused honestly with with how you're saying this so okay. you're saying there's developers and there's uh pioneers when i say when i say developers i mean like they'll be the ones to run with the idea and just do the nuts and bolts of it all okay so like maybe mechanics is is, is a, a better word for it um i'm basically like slapping a, a a nice term on worker bee okay so like the consumers consumers yes but also like uh yeah yeah ultimately um in the cycle of things they're going to be the consumers but don't you think both of them uh, like we're finding now more and more that um humans are you know especially americans right now are gravitating more towards gaming than ever before right yeah like, that and that's what i'm saying is that i think we've lost all other outlets like we don't have um, philosophers anymore we don't really have uh, you know we have thought leaders but like that industry's really bullshitty and it's a big money grab in a lot of ways mm -hmm. uh so like incentives are just so disaligned where it's like you don't really benefit from being innovative unless you're in the tech space yeah that's I actually, scary i completely agree with yeah that. unfortunately it's it's really hard to set yourself apart these days yeah um just because also uh just the idea of like people know how to emulate or imitate um premium people because right. of how much it's documented like, yeah you know you you can kind of know oh well i should put this on my resume because it's you know seo optimized and it's you know this is what the bots look for like right. that's kind of bullshit you know right it's content creation is this way too yeah it's not the cream of the crop that's rising no no no, no right no. it's who's manipulating the algorithm yeah. the best it's who understands like the seo and all this other stuff and that that's kind of yeah. terrifying and you know it's uh, a great example is like look at our news even look at you know what we did with um the the apostle situation yeah. you know it was just inundated with content about that and of course everybody craved it but you know we have to kind of step back and look like philosophically is this what's best for the community and i definitely think i like i still want to know more about that apostle situation like you know we're six months out from it and we still don't know we never got the conclusion that everybody so right. craved we actually uh I don't know if I told you this off air or not, but we have something in the works that could be pretty groundbreaking. Okay. Uh, so one of my students developed uh, a piece of software that's actually able to scrape live data, data from um, streams. Okay. Um, and convert it into a hand history that just goes into Poker Tracker 4. So what we're working on, what we hope to complete within the upcoming months, is to scrape every single hand that Possible ever played and put it in Poker Tracker 4. We'll be able to sort by, you know, really uh damning metrics or sure. potentially uh you know who who developed this uh he's just one of the students that wow. uh we've coached he's um i believe he's i'm gonna get this wrong he's some type of engineer by trade yeah yeah i mean he has to that that's like uh screen scraping is like amazing yeah it's and like hard when he told me it seemed like he did it over the weekend yeah, yeah yeah he had been working on it for a while and i didn't realize he's just like 
oh yeah i just uh i developed this. i whipped up something he literally did it to uh he came to the academy uh-huh. so he did it so that he could parse all of the the hand histories from uh the times that he played and then like you know try to sort it in some sort of way where he could understand the data better yeah and i was just like oh my god this has like a huge implication in this case totally. if we could go through because now we can get a true win rate the the big pushback on the anecdotal evidence of he's just you know performing way beyond any normal standard deviation is just like well you guys don't know how much he added on and you don't know like what his stack truly was mm-hmm. the graphic could have been wrong yada 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 it's just like okay well if we just calculate every single bet and dollar that he put in the pot and sort it we'll get to see his win rate yeah. we'll get to see his performance on rivers which i think is like a super damning uh statistic if it's you know skewed in any sort of way of course it's yeah it, it'll it definitely it'll, is. it'll definitely be the nail in the coffin if uh if we're able to do it yeah um dude that's amazing um but just going back to the conversation um i think you know the the world has become so over manipulated that it's it's hard to find things that um are meaningful anymore yeah maybe not meaningful is the right word but but just real not diluted yeah yeah just because everybody looks like on paper looks like uh you know a chin yeah but yeah that's fair you know it yeah you're right uh andrew barber kind of made a post about this maybe a month ago or so um where he was kind of like he got a lot of flack for it too but he was basically saying like do we really need more content there's already so much out there Mm -hmm. Um, you know, shouldn't we just be consuming more and letting the cream rise? And I think his message was a little lost because it came off a little crotchety and uh, kind of like pushing back against everybody being a creator these days. But he's kind of right. There's no, there's no more barrier. There's no barrier of entry, right? So like literally anybody can be a creator. I mean, TikTok is just like the perfect example of this. It's, it's just like endless, endless stuff. And yeah, there's some stuff that's really fantastic, but there's piles and piles and piles of trash. Uh, we're just like accepting of it now because it's like, well, maybe we don't get the gold if we don't suffer through the sure. the trash. But it, it's just like there's only so many hours in a lifetime. And the fact that like we are such consumers by nature and, you know, uh, I, I worry, I guess, like what the capitalistic mindset combined with the consumerism is going to lead towards with it. I think it's inevitability. We, we already know what it's going to lead towards. Just this is the this is the result of capitalism and i've thought about this a lot like you know everybody likes to talk about their side socialism capitalism libertarianism etc um and, and so often it's done based off of a neutral standpoint like the system is at in neutral mm-hmm. and we're just not yeah right like we're in such a dynamic a weird dynamic that nobody is quite able to quantify but it leans towards oligarchy yada yada I, yeah. again uh, yeah, I, we, I, I get it. Don't yeah. don't worry about the slippery slope. Like we can go down it. <laughs> yeah, and and it's just like, what do we do based on our current position? You know, our our ship is already sailing in a certain direction, mm-hmm. and the course correction is just like, not only is it hard because of inertia, but also it's just nobody knows exactly where to go with it. So like, for people to have such definitive, um, you know, opinions with it, it's. I'm talking about more in poker yeah. uh, than than politics. For people to have such definitive like this is good or this is bad, man, we really don't know. But you can definitely see like the success of this podcast has been great, and people crave it more, and people clearly want it. And I think um, you know, as uh, just a, a standard 
you know, content creator in the space, um, you just gotta, you gotta deal with the market kind of says, because yeah. it's only going to change if the whole system changes. Right. And to get the whole system to change, you need literally everybody on board to make that agreement. And once you do that, people, there's going to be people that come into the space and just abuse the system right. because of that. So yeah, I, so uh, brutal. I, I kind of wonder, I, I, I just like, I guess my issue is both if we're talking like economics, uh, politics, and I think it, I, I think almost everything parallels with poker. Yeah, it's such a nuanced game that it's like you can draw parallels pretty pretty clearly between most aspects of life. Um, but I think in both, like when you're talking about choosing a side, whether it's capitalism or libertarianism or whatever, and then in poker, whether it's like uh, you know the game is nearly solved and and doomsday is before us, or it's a human game and like it doesn't really matter that kind of thing. All of, all of the comparisons kind of like parallel in a vacuum. So like capitalism in a vacuum is so good, mm -hmm. right? Free market in a, in a vacuum sense just makes so much sense. But the problem is, is it's predicated on rational actors, Yeah. right? And we know, we have to know by now through enough experience that most, uh, like it's not a vast majority that are rational, right? There are rational actors, but there are irrational actors, and there's a lot of them because irrationality isn't just necessarily defined as uh, somebody doing something that makes no logical sense. It's also going to be defined by people who are incentivized to disobey what the rational actor would do. And this kind of falls into the poker parallel, too, when we're talking about studying through solves and everything else. We are literally only looking at vacuum scenarios where we are creating the assumptions or we're... Uh, allowing a solver to iterate against itself and create assumptions for us, that type of thing. And that's fantastic. But that doesn't replicate real-world scenarios. Mm -hmm. So now the incentives change drastically. And those who are kind of defecting become the irrational actors because that's what their environments are incentivizing them to do. And now we just have this, like, hard collision. And, you know, I think the same thing holds true for content. It's like, you know, it, it, it's a fantastic concept when everybody's acting rationally. And saying, like, I have a talent, I'm going to put it out there, people will consume, and if they don't, then I'll get the feedback I know and I'll step away. Mm -hmm. But people aren't. They're acting irrationally. It's because the incentive-driven model is, if you just pump out enough shit, people will consume. And if people consume, there's a light at the end of the tunnel where you can begin to monetize. Sure. Um, Sorry, that I was mean, a lot. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it's definitely the case. You know, with... With the content stuff, and I, I kind of want to bring this to, I've been looking up, obviously, um, Nick's been on the podcast mm -hmm. a, a bunch. And I, the first time I actually met him, I don't, I'm sure he doesn't remember, was there was a Solve for Why Run It Up broadcast that we did together. Yeah. And he was in like a heads up challenge yeah, that yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, and man, he looks and feels so uh, intimidating at times. You know, he's like a stoic so he's quiet stoic, yeah. he's he's just making his actions he's super smooth with stuff and i was like man i want to look up more about him and um and i found out obviously he's like a coach content creator for his team or something like yeah. that i'm not exactly sure um but you know people are people are just like hey is uh, is he worth it and um and People were like, uh, "No, he's he's not. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's right, overpriced." Right, right. Yeah. Of course, I'm on two plus two, so of course. I mean, like you're gonna get only the negative people uh, commenting back at it, and um, you know that kind of shit is wild to me. Like I, um, again, in StarCraft, 
if you're only going to get trained by the very, very top person in the game, then you're going to have zero content creators, mm-hmm. right? And everybody looks at the game a little bit differently. Um, and even like uh, StarCraft is separated from like uh, bronze to grandmaster, right? Yeah. There's like seven different leagues. Even the the league right above you, you can learn a tremendous amount from the, you know, if I'm in diamond, you're in gold. Yeah. You can learn a tremendous amount from me. Um, and it's just crazy the environment that poker is in because there's this duality of like such rational, um, you know, uh, brutally efficient thinking. And then you have this other subset of just like negativity, like pure negativity on literally every single content creator. Right. I find it such a frustrating uh, experience at times. Yeah. And I feel like it's super unique to poker. I don't know why that is. I, I think what it is, is uh, poker kind of present, it, it does present this like duality that you're kind of speaking to um, where the mechanics of the game lend itself to a logical linear thinker who's problem solving from A to Z, mm-hmm. right? And there are a lot of them in this game that are, wildly intelligent and the game has moved in their direction now with solvers so when you're talking about the ikes of the world uh the the sievers whatever right although i i I would maybe move siever out a little bit um to my second point that i'm about to make and the second one is coming full circle to what we were talking about on the onset where uh this game was so new and it's still it might not be in its infancy anymore but it's like a toddler uh it's still so young and we still know so little compared to like what our hubris would would suggest Mm -hmm. uh there are these there's this subset of innovators and creative types that are just drawn to the endless possibilities in this game and their mind just like goes crazy with the creativity that you can actually employ should you choose to do so and the reason why i said i would move siever out is because i think he falls like somewhere in between where it's like he's obviously super analytical very intelligent math based but he definitely uh like bucks the trend where he's like i'm not gonna play according to some ai output and grid because i recognize that this is a human game so i think that like what ultimately happens is two camps end up forming and the problem is is that uh the the analytical camp has a lot of what appear to be empirical truths on their side where the creative camp is more flying by the seat of their pants just speaking in terms of bias and observation and uh you know basically using their experience yeah. to paint a picture so it's very easy for those on the outside looking in to figure out where they relate best and then choose a side but more importantly it's very simple to pile on from the data side and just be like look man i have this machine that gave me an answer and it says your answer is wrong so you're wrong and i'm going to tell you sure. why you're a terrible human for being wrong it, but the the level to which we judge these people mm-hmm. um okay I'll, I'll just wrap it around to like piano like i had a piano teacher growing up that was probably absolute garbage at piano sure. compared to you yeah. know the entire spectrum but you know there's never a chance that you know there was the com- uh, the community our, our town was like, oh, Mr. Sanford is absolute garbage. You shouldn't right. be training. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. That, that's absurd. It's like, well, he could still teach me stuff, yeah. right? Like, there's still value in going to him. And I feel like 
everybody in the poker scene is just hypercritical. 100%. Hyper, hypercritical yeah. of like, if you're not an absolute winning player by four big blinds per hundred, there is no way that yeah. you should be spending any money. Dude, a losing player can teach another losing player. It's just where you are on yeah, that Yeah, I think spectrum. the gap is what ultimately matters. Yes. Um, but I, I will say that there's some, some uh, I guess, like nuance to this in the sense that uh, there's a lot of bad things that can be taught as well. Totally. So like, particularly when we're talking about like that right side of creatives that aren't very good or refined, right? So when you're talking about, if, if you take somebody who is an analytical thinker and is following data, but like is early in their journey and not very good, they're gonna have a lot more value to offer, I think, than a creative type who is at the exact same point in their career. Just because the mistakes that are gonna be made are going to be so much more uh, egregious from from that side because they're coloring outside the lines, right? Mm -hmm. They're not operating mm -hmm. under any sort of like narrow scope. And it takes a lot of time, effort, experience, and refinement to actually get to a point where like you can not only make that profitable, but in a lot of ways, like that's that's truly the the ceiling right now, right? At the end of the day, like that side will ultimately have more win rate available to them because they're operating on max explo but it's also so difficult to cradle and deal with the mental swings and everything else i think full circle uh like even going back to when we were talking about um you know the the different camps in uh economics and pol politics and everything else in order to change course where people start meeting a lot more in the middle and having some level of uh i, I guess respect for anybody who, I, I hate to even use the word knows, because as I get older, what I'm really coming to understand is like, we just know nothing. And we are speculative about a lot and get some of it right. So it's like, I guess, uh, in order to have everybody meet in the middle and agree upon like those who can lead and those who have like good thoughts in leading, it requires such a deep and profound change in our education. I mean, top you're, to you're talking about a fantasy land. Right. 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 Because like at the core, like we have to change the education system in order to create like some sort of value set to start off of. Sure. And we just have no re yeah. or rhyme or reason to do so. Yeah. It's pretty brutal, man. Um, it's hilarious that this, we got off to a topic from talking about Dan O'Brien. Yeah. No, no, no. Originally talking about how I met Jason. Right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We way off. Okay. Go back to that. Uh, well, man, there, there's there's so many things that I want to get to and and talk about what you just said. Um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like um, we're just stuck with our system. And, and that's it. Like, that's, that's very nihilistic. I mean... Look, it's it's a systemic change that needs to have happen, and it's every single party in this, right? Like that again. It stems from the hypersensitivity or hypercriticism that literally everybody gets as soon as you put your content out there. Mm -hmm. You know, like Brad Owen and Andrew Nimi put out their 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 vlogs, and they are without a doubt top poker vloggers in uh, in YouTube. And you know, you look down through the comments and overwhelmingly positive and then overwhelmingly negative of this guy's not even like a winning player yeah it's like guys like he doesn't need to be the scott sievers of the world the you know ike Haxons of the world to to put out this content um and it's just like people uh people are brutally irrational and 
I, I think that there's no way around this, this, um, I don't know, the, the negative, the duality, that negativity. Yeah. I, I think it feels more apocalyptic than it is. I, I think it's good to have a balance of positive and negative. I just think that the negative is so much louder. Uh, one yeah. negative comment like negates 10 positive ones. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it feels that way, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that's, that's how I was growing up in the esports scene. Like every single time someone's like, man, great turp doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Right. It's just like, Oh my God. Yeah. But I do. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> you know? And I, I think that's what it is, is like the burden of proof is so heavy on those of us putting ourselves out there. Totally. Uh, and we feel so exposed that when people kind of pick at that wound, it, it does cut a little bit deeper. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a crazy environment. Content creation is like the hardest thing to really do in my, especially in poker, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, because in poker, you are you can't put out bullshit. Whereas, like you know, you go into reaction videos or whatever it is, yeah, you can put out things that are just like, oh my god, and pe- you know, it, as long as you have a following, it, it's gonna stick. Um, I'm not disparaging reaction videos because some people have you know reasonable things to say about it, uh, but you know, there, there, in poker, you put out content, and right away that first content piece, people are judging you immediately. Yeah, for e- either sure. you're you fucking don't know anything about poker or okay, maybe it's okay. Yeah. You know, that might be really ultimately what the the systemic issue of all this is, is that everyone's a critic without the uh, actual credentials to be one. And in this particular industry, um, at least in my opinion, since the advent of solvers, it feels like it's given everyone a voice where they can kind of like, put their arm around their buddy and say like he backs me up sure that kind of thing um so it's become a way to like poke holes in literally everything where with any sort of data we can manipulate it in our favor whenever we're trying to prove a point so uh, again like i always circle back to this and this is something i'm really passionate about and uh i honestly might just do it if i ever have any free time but like i desperately wish that logical fallacies were taught like broad spectrum. Um, I know in, in my high school, like we covered it for like a minute. And I found it so fascinating because especially where I grew up, it's a very pride. Pittsburgh's like just so prideful and the water cooler talk are two people yelling at each other about something nonsensical, sports related, I'm sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you really understand logical fallacies and you listen to these debates, you would just recognize that like of, of, 10 sentences that are uttered, a quarter of one is actually founded in any sort of rationality and logic. And the rest of it's just like ad hominem attacks and straw men arguments and, you know, all these other things that are just like so destructive to actually making points. Um, I just feel like, uh, you know, at its core, if people were more versed in this, would begin speaking to each other in, in ways that could actually move the needle one way or the other. Yeah, I definitely agree. With our current structure, um, what it does help me find is like whenever I get into a conversation or an argument with anybody, I get to see exactly who they are yeah. very quickly, you know, and that I guess that helps in some cases. So it's like, okay, you're just a bullshit human being. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't trust your opinion on anything because of how you argue. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm kind of of the opinion like it's either you kind of have it and you have a very high ceiling or 
if you haven't thought about it at all or you're you're not self-reflective in the things that you're saying, then you just are incapable of it. Or yeah. if not incapable, you have a very, very low ceiling. I'm probably passionate about it because I really enjoyed like argument and debate. Sure. So it's like I just find myself in these in these conversations yeah, so yeah. goddamn much. It's just like, ah, like can you just abide by the rules at least? Yeah. Like Please stop tacking my character. Let's talk about the, you know, the conversation. <laughs> um, sometimes in my, my free time, or I, I used to do this a lot more when I didn't have all my social medias uh, blocked. Um, but sometimes for fun, I would just, you know, be bored and I'm like, what do I want to do? I feel like reading juicy shit. And I would just go to, uh, I'll go into my search, type Dan O'Brien poker. <laughs> and I would just, re- I would just wait until I see like, you know, um, uh, he, Sanders is unreasonable. Yeah, Something yeah, yeah. that he would yeah. say. I, I don't know exactly. And then I just look at the comments. I'm like, oh, this is juicy. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember when he got into the fight with Talib Kweli? No. Oh my god, man! It was great. It was insane. I mean, the entire poker world was like in a fight with with this like superstar rapper. Uh-huh. But effectively, like he was just calling all white people racist. Uh-huh. And Dan's like trying to logic out. <laughs> Like how he's not a racist. Dan, Dan is clearly intelligent, but like he just has no clue when to. Uh, maybe he does it on purpose. Yeah, uh, you know, like his battle selection is like the absolute worst I've ever I, seen. I completely get it now, man. I, I didn't understand it before. I was the same. Like I used to be like, "What is your pro? Like you, your time is better spent." Honestly, like living with him was like such an experience for me, both good and bad. In the sense that, in, in the exact same way, it's like I learned so much about, like, uh, I, I guess, like, what type of person I'd grown into from my surroundings, especially uh-huh. back home. Like I said, we're, you know, it's a very prideful bunch. Uh, you, it's the type of place where you take pride in where you were born. And, like, that's such a ridiculous thing. And Dan is so logical uh-huh. that, like, just living with him for so long, it forced me to really tap into that, where it's just like, okay, like I should pay a lot more attention to things that matter and not be like so emotionally driven by stuff. And that was great. But at the same time, it really reduced my emotional self. And like, you know, <laughs> we are emotional creatures and it's a good thing to be able maybe, to tap into. Maybe, maybe Dan O'Brien is the reason why Chin believes that you're so emotionless. That actually, <laughs> there's probably some weight to that. On top of that though, like when I was living with him, I was effectively just like an unknown in poker i was just quietly doing my thing playing high stake or mid mid stakes cash like 10 20 20 40 whatever uh and then having the occasional tournament score and he was mr like i'm in the spotlight i'm trying to get all these like sponsorship deals i'm doing everything for the media and then when the tables flipped when he was just kind of like out of it and now all of a sudden i'm starting a company and becoming like more of a social media personality I started to see his Twitter personality creep into my, oh my, God. my presentations. I'm just like, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I pointing out when someone's being irrational? Like, there is nothing people hate more than somebody who's just like, hey, you're not doing it right. You just you just don't gain anything. Right. From it, it's, just, it's, it's honestly, it's the worst thing that I took away from you. You know, probably. Dan O'Brien, just like Chin, he's a star man. Like his personality is amazing. It's so different. Um, As you said, it's brutally logical, but he has such an irrational side to him. Like I know he has huge fluctuations with his weight. Bro, when I met him, (laughs) when I moved in with him the first year, he would scarf 
McDonald's. I'm not saying like he would have a burger or uh-huh. fries. I mean, he would come back with 50 fucking nuggets and a burger on the side, like just a bag, <laughs> a greasy bag. And I would just look at him and I'm just like, what are you doing, you fat fuck? And he would just, in the most arrogant way possible, just be like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Muffin Top, that your body doesn't process this food the way mine does. I'm just like, you can't honestly believe that. But I literally think he did for the longest time. He was just like, I'm blessed you're not. Dude, that kid, like I've seen him super fat and super, super just bulked out of his mind. Yeah. And it's it's amazing to watch that transformation sometimes. I, I still think he should come back to poker and do something with it. Like, I think I he has a tremendous amount of value that he adds to the community. I think it just tortures him. I, I think so, too. Especially now that he's started to study. Yeah. Because the study really, really zaps his, like, logical, analytical side. Uh-huh. And I think it just tortures him to the core to know that he's putting in, like, hundreds of hours to know what the actual optimal solution is in a spot. And some drunk guy who's spilling his chips all over the table is just fucking him with five deuce. <laughs> and it's just like, it, it just happens over and over and over again where it's just like, you know, not that you have case money on the table, but it's like a huge spot. You're playing three times the stakes that you normally play. And there's just gigantic well in the game. And it's just like somehow, some way Dan never gets that money. And that guy always gets him. He's... And that's not true, obviously, but that's the way it feels. Yeah. And I think that, like, honestly, it just wrecks him to his core, where he's just like, I hate this stupid fucking game. I need more control of my life. Like, please make it end. I love the kid. Dan, if you're listening, please come back to poker, man. I, I know it-, it wrecks your soul, but, you know, you got to muscle through it. I've asked he him. Has- he has the capacity to muscle through it, too. Like, he oh, has for that- sure. For he sure. has that super competitive. Like, when he was playing St- StarCraft, I-, I can feel that competitive drive yeah. that can make a good player. Yeah, yeah. Um, he sucks at the polls though. He's great on the come up. Uh-huh. He can't, he can't stand being withered and he can't stand being rich. Like both of those things just like completely shut him down. You know what I mean? It's like when he has it, it's going to be like McDonald's and Starcraft all day uh-huh. long. And when he doesn't have it, it's going to be like McDonald's and Starcraft all day long. Okay. <laughs> you know, I talked about the 80, 20 type of person. Do you think he's that 80, 20 person? Whereas... Uh, he, he, he masters something 80% of the way and then he's just like, I'm good with it? Yeah, 100% because I think so much comes easy to him. Yeah. I, I think he's the type that like never had to study. and you know, it, I, I can relate in some way, but also he just has like... <laughs> we all do, right? Yeah. Especially people who are high performers, you have this like weird, um, uh, I guess, understanding of yourself. But he thinks he's the best goddamn athlete to ever walk the face <laughs> of the earth. I... I still, to this day, there is no point in my life, maybe like 2007 plus plus, where I think he would ever be able to take me in a fight. And I challenged him multiple times. Oh, my God. It's like, God. oh, yeah, yeah, we will do it. We'll do it. To this day, Dan, let's fight. Let's <laughs> let's jujitsu. Let's judo. Whatever you want to do, you could throw strikes in there. That's fine. But to this day, I'm waiting for that. I know him and Jason want to do something like that. You realize that you're trained and like he's literally, know, he hasn't thrown dude. a punch since he was like 13. It's, and his, his wrists are withered, bro. <laughs> It's years of <laughs> hockey and whatever he does with his wrist. But I, I know for sure, like, yes, to, yeah. to, to be clear, he does think he's the best athlete in the world. Or he thinks he's like, he thinks that we overvalue the, our technique a little yeah, bit yeah, too much. Yeah, for sure. And just for sure. Like, I, and honestly, I don't think he truly believes any of that stuff. But yeah, like, yeah. he that's loves his to be that. Yeah. And, and nothing has like truly humbled him. To his and that's yet. why he's a star, though. Like, right, no, he I loves agree. he loves those. Spots. I've, I've begged him to 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 be on the pod. Like mm-hmm. I think that 
uh, this thing would take a whole hard right turn. Yeah. But like, it would just be a lot of us like looking at each other with a little bit of dismay <laughs> and just kind of like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then just like that kind of feedback a lot. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think he has whatever he gets into, what, whatever industry it may be. Yeah. Uh, I think he just has like infinite to offer. I and do it does too. kind of suck that like, I think he was a little bit premature in the sense that like when he was really driven hard to create content, to write, to uh, be a part of like any of that stuff, it was just like pre-boom of that stuff. You know, he was a little bit too early. He was a little bit pre-Twitch. He was a little bit pre-YouTube. Yeah. And I think he just got burnt out quick because he's like, I'm doing all this shit for no reward. Yeah. I mean, he just needs focus in whatever he does and he's he's going to crush it. But you know, I, I know he's into his stuff right now. I think he's doing like crypto or something yeah. like that. Yeah. He needs to be in front of a cameraman. I agree. Bro, the greatest or the, the greatest tragedy of the mid 2000s was that uh, Stars was going to make a documentary about Jason Allenberry and Dan called Staked. Okay. And it just got buried. Mm. And it's like, God damn it, man. There is nothing on earth I would want to watch 60 minutes more of yeah. than Allenberry suffering through a downswing. <laughs> And Dan being on an upswing. <laughs> it would have just been the greatest movie that was ever produced in, in poker history. Yeah. I mean, you look back at Ultimate Poker with three people, uh, four people actually that come to my mind. Um, Brett Hanks, uh, D-Moon Girl, yeah. uh, Dan O'Brien, Jason. And you look at all of them, they're, except Dan, uh, they're all in poker and uh, and they're doing really successful. And Dan could have been right up there too. yeah i don't I think dan would trade places with any of them though i i, I definitely recognize that because he sees it as like a ton of work right like mm -hmm. he, he went through all that media stuff he went through beyond camera i think he got sick of it but man like i just I, I just think like so those different. three are born for the roles that they're in like d moon loves playing high stakes and mm -hmm. like she just eats it up and you know she's a great game facilitator and all that other stuff she's a great content creator right. too like and I like think brent is just meant to be that like heel in front of the camera yeah. like the the dynamic that he forms with all of his co co uh host be it remco jeff platt whatever he just has this like way of being the needily funny guy sure yeah. and you know jason's just like he's a boss he's, he's just gonna be the guy who moves a lot of big pieces and i think like if dan were gonna trade places with anybody it would be jason but like no way would he want that day-to-day -day stress yeah like he is in the mountains chilling i know snowboarding and enjoying life well, he has, put it that way, I'm envious. He has a place whenever he wants to come back. You know, I mean, yeah, some people are meant to to be like that, and that that's completely fine. Yeah, uh, he just has so much untapped potential that I, I wish, I hope, I think it will be realized one day. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, going back to run it up <laughs> and how I got involved at that. So we started a training site uh, with StarCraft Two. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Jason and yeah. I, uh, and a bunch of other pros. Um, and out of that site, uh, it kind of, it fizzled real hard, really, really hard. But I became very good friends with Jason and Dan O'Brien. Why, why do you think it fizzled out of curiosity? I think the execution of it, it okay. just like... It you, wasn't a market You issue. know pros are... It doesn't matter what industry it is. They are notoriously hard to wrangle to mm -hmm. build content. Yeah, yeah, it's just sure. It's just like, oh, build me 10 hours. Okay, I'll get you the 10 hours. And ordinarily, we can stream for 10 hours. It's easy. Yeah. Once you tell us to do content and make it, it's just like, uh, you know, building out that script, right. filming it, editing it. You know, it's just a hassle. Yeah. 
So I think that's the major thing. It was just hard to wrangle all the pros when everybody's remote. That makes sense. Everybody's in a different location. Even the centralized like person that is supposed to wrangle everyone together is remote from yeah. everyone else. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah. it's super super difficult. But yeah, that that died pretty a pretty hard death. Um, but out of that, you know, Jason became one of my best friends. Uh, this was pre two thousand eleven, so two thousand end of two thousand ten. I met him, became friends with him, and then he goes and wins a WSOP bracelet. I'm like, holy shit, this guy's actually really good. Yeah. Because I had no gauge of whether how good he was. Yeah. Hilariously, I was playing Heroes of New Earth, which is like a, a Dota remake, basically mm. back then. I was playing Heroes of New Earth. And I stumbled on a guy that um, we just added as friends and turns out to be fucking Havad Khan on the other side. <laughs> the bulldozer. And he's like, Grey Torp, dude, I'm a huge fan of you. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. you're the poker player? Right. Okay. So that's before Jason. Okay. I go, hey, Havad, um, should I, should I, you know, partner up with, with this Jason Somerville kid? He's like, I don't know, man. That seems really sketch that a poker player would be into, you know, StarCraft of all things. It's like, just be very, very careful. But turns out Jason Somerville was the real deal. He goes on to win WSP bracelet. Um, and then we kept in touch, but uh, branched off for a while because I was just literally so heavy into esports. And it was like my super true passion at that time. That's all I was thinking about. I was living, breathing. There was a time where like... We were taking on multiple games, so it was StarCraft II um, and uh, World of Tanks at that time. And I remember in August, I was like, well, we just don't have enough people and don't have enough time. I stayed 16 hours every single day from that from August until December, to Christmas break, every single day, making sure that both the shows were done. I was on broadcast sometimes for like 14 hours straight. It was yeah. insane. Yeah, it's wild. But I loved it. Like, it wasn't work to me. I had true passion in that. I had that true, like, time just flew by. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where I thrived. Um, and then, uh, you know, throughout the course, I realized that my um, my bosses at the time were just um, abusive. Yeah. Not, not physically or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but just, it was, it was a very toxic work environment. Um, and I had to get out. So I got out. I said, Jason, do you need to produce? Well, no. Jason's like, hey, yeah, great timing. Um, I'm starting up this thing called run it up. It's going to be a YouTube show. I already did the first season. Do you want to come produce the second season over at ultimate poker? It's like, requires me to move. I think this is, you know, it was just meant to be, yeah. it felt like, I don't really mean that, but you know, it yeah, just, yeah, things no. lined up so, so perfectly. So yeah, that's when I started, I started producing a show. I was the one that edited it you know, gave a lot of feedback with how we should adjust things. And then it spiraled into Twitch and, uh, and from there, it's. I, it's I don't history. think I want to paint a picture too because I don't think the viewers are necessarily gonna really understand what all goes into this or uh -huh. like what your capabilities are. But like when we're talking about a superstar, like you fit that mold in a way that is so versatile. And uh, you know, I really got firsthand experience when we did do the the heads up challenge and stuff like that. It's like I know what what it looks like from my guys, like the Pigtails team. They're the fucking best, right? It's like they've been pursuing content their entire life but not in poker they're 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 mainstream like they know how to make movies that's in that's a a very helpful skill set in what we do when we did the heads up challenge and you were so clear and crisp on run of show and like understanding like the ins and the outs of uh the cuts and everything else and now all they have to do is go make the content 
that was just like night and day between like the hectic side of Travis having to do literally three things. There are days where like we're when we're at the academy where he will be doing inline edits for the stream, setting everything up, running the graphics, uh, pulling them over, and editing on the side because we have like some package we want to uh, put in there or we have like something that we need to get out, whatever the case may be. So it's like, I don't think everybody understands exactly what goes into the production of Run It Up and how good the content truly is from a top to bottom covering all bases if we put this up against content in other spaces like just how good that fucking production is dude thank you i really appreciate it um you know i have an amazing team right now um you know one of the guys that actually was working with me in esports uh, i brought him over his name's randall mm. and he is uh been a tremendous like i don't think i would still be doing this if it wasn't for randall because yeah. not only is he like a very deep friend. We actually commentated together back in esports, but now he switched over to a technical role, and he—he's how I feel. I guess you to me. Yeah. Um. I just feel like, you know, I've surrounded myself with really good people that are very passionate about their 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 um their projects, and uh, it, it's been it's been really really easy to do everything that I need to do. I think when it comes down to like what I know, uh, I think it's a little bit misleading. Like I feel like I'm a T distribution. Like I know one thing very, very well, or maybe a couple of things very, very well. But for the most part, I only know probably 80%, not even 60% of the stuff. So yeah. don't let it fool you, Matt Burke. I'm going to let you down one of these days. <laughs> I, I don't doubt that. Uh, but I do doubt that like, if you fail, there isn't somebody on your team that can like pick up the slack. Yeah. So that's kind of like the thing about moving big pieces. It's like, if you do know one thing really, really well, and there's a spectrum of things to cover. You just find other people who know those things really well. Yeah. And I think you guys have like done an excellent job of that. Like, um, you know, I know you guys got nominated for video of the year, video content of the year. Yeah, something like that. But again, that wasn't me. That was Jesse Fullen, our social media strategist. Yeah, like he's again. We've we've definitely built a really really cool team. Yeah, that, um, I that, just think it speaks to the machine more so than anything else. Sure, right? It's like uh, that's why I'm saying I think that like you could you could transpose this into other uh, content communities and see that like it checks all the boxes. Right. And sometimes, you know, it might, it might be like low hanging fruit. Like I know the video itself is uh, kind of like the recipe for a viral video. It's, it's just like a, a pop song with mm -hmm. moneymaker dubbed over or whatever, but that's not the point that I'm trying to make. It's like, if we look at the edits, if we look at the runtime, if we look at the, the uh, construction of it all. And then more importantly, like look at the whole scope of work of the streams that you guys are producing, the actual shorts and, and everything else. It, it really does, it gets so overlooked. And like, that's what I guess frustrates me as a content creator who does put a high uh, level of value on production. It's just like, if we look at the whole gamut of content, you know, uh, the vlogger space is what it is. Uh, they all do a fantastic job. Like the fact that most of these guys learn to edit on their own kudos to them mm -hmm. I, I think that's fantastic but then when you start to get into like the more mass appeal type stuff it's like poker go triton they have you know six seven figure uh production teams behind them they should get the gold star there but the fall off from there is not that far in my opinion whenever you start getting to like run it up when you start looking at like the stuff that we've done uh and some some others that are relatively notable put that by comparison to you know, people who almost put no emphasis on production whatsoever. It's just like, 
get in front of a camera, turn it on and speak. Yeah. It's just like, how on earth are we all just getting melded together? Yeah. You know, it's like, there's just no criteria anymore for, for like what we're consuming. Yeah. You know, to me, um, I have a lot of respect for the people that put a ton of time, you know, like Jamin Burton. Yeah. Yeah. He edits a ton in his videos and every single time I'm just like, how the hell are you doing this? bro? Like you are traveling all the time and And he has a full-time job. It's wild to me. Wild (laughs) to me. He's a computer scientist. That, that is crazy. Now I know he has a lot of stuff templated, but still that's a tremendous amount of work and effort and, and passion that goes into it. And, um, you know, that's why I really want to connect with him. I want to connect, obviously we've connected with Andrew and Brad, like these guys are taking some of the hardest ways out in poker and, and making it successful, um, in esports. And I'm sure, you know, for those of you at home, like, uh, you've documented your origins Mm -hmm. really well. And you have a lot of the, the people that you grew up with in that, like, uh, like Brian, um, you had, you're, you're still with him. And that's like, I, I love that family system, like that family, uh, let, let's talk about stories from the past. Let's go back and, and, and recount everything that happened to get us here. And that's to me what run it up really is. Yeah, yeah. We, we happen to play poker, you know, we happen to, to do all this, this crazy shit, but realistically it's, you get all these people that we just know each other from this community and we're just hanging out. Like Deb Swift is always there. Cougar yeah. Radar is always there. Like I can always count on a ton of people just being at Reno's or any of the Run It Up events. And what I'm trying to do is making sure that we have memory of all that stuff. Yeah. You know, so that, and not just me, of course, no, but, no, but our whole team. Um, and that's what's cool about it. And that's why I think Run It Up Reno, uh, plug, <laughs> April 3rd to 13th, be there. Um, April, uh, I'm sorry, uh, running up Reno is just so different. Yeah. Right. Like it, it's a festival. Yeah, yeah. We keep saying it's a festival because it's just a place for, you know, yes, we're playing poker. Yes. You can win a, a good amount of money there, but we're just hanging out, having fun, going to karaoke, doing stand up comedy, yeah. you know, playing board games, playing werewolf. Like it is so different than um wsop yeah miles and miles apart. yeah i i completely agree it's it's a much more intimate atmosphere and and that's why it's so hard to take it on the road too right because like i don't want to commercialize that too much right like i I definitely think we should do a run it up east coast a run it up london a run it up you know asia or whatever probably not asia yeah but you know I, i definitely want to bring it to other places but at the same time I'm a little bit scared that we lose some of the um, the, the passion that really goes behind. I it. think you'd be surprised how big your market is otherwise, though. So, uh, first of all, we should do this: uh, create Run It Up Australia, uh-huh. and I will be right behind you with an Australia Academy because I have to tell you, man. I don't know if you've like looked at your numbers or or feedback or anything else. We are fucking huge in Australia. Wow. I don't know why. <laughs> it's the craziest thing. I don't know if they just like spewy poker or yeah, what yeah. it is, but like we are <laughs> massive in Australia. And like we've been kicking around an idea to figure out how to get an academy there, like right around Aussie millions to to double the trip. This might be it. Maybe you know? so. Maybe maybe uh we we put run it up Australia right before Aussie millions or right after one or the other. Yeah. And we just uh, turn it into a whole month out there. That's not a terrible idea, man. I think, you know, we've been talking to a couple of partners in Australia and we've been floating around the idea of some sort of run it up Australia. Uh, the toughest part is just the logistics of it, right? Yeah. Like, um, how are we going to get our equipment over there? 
right. that's that's the that was thing. that was the same for us yeah it was just like i, I don't know what makes sense yeah how, how do we how do we run a stream really it doesn't make sense for us to bring everything over it makes sense for us to rent stuff or yeah so uh yeah i think we should we should look into that that'll be a really cool cool thing to do yeah it? but um yeah, I, I would love to do something like that. I would love to have you at the Run It Up Reno's, honestly, Berkey. I'm like, coming. I'm coming okay. for sure in April. I actually just talked to Jamin yesterday. We should set uh, something up coming. like a solve for why, uh, you know, panel or something like that. Where yeah. You can ask questions, whatever. Get ready for the main event. We used to do that. We we stopped it because it was just so taxing on Jason. Right. At the time, it was Jason, Dan O'Brien, and, and D Moon Girl doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just too taxing. Like, it, it was a lot of stress. So, if that's something that you're interested in, we could definitely... So yeah. that maybe not this one, but the next one. Cause yeah, we, yeah. Uh, 100% coming in April. We have an academy the first to the third. Okay. Um, shameless plug. Uh, but so I think we're going to do the academy first to third, and we're probably going to film Poker Out Loud the fourth to sixth. That's why I spoke to Jamie yesterday. I, w- I really want to do uh, a vlogger edition of Poker Out Loud. Yeah. So I'd like to get like six vloggers, uh, film for a day, have that be the next YouTube season that comes out. And then obviously give them all the raw so that they could create actual vlogs of their own uh, based on their own personal experience. So I, I think that that could be, uh, and this all really speaks to like why I think Run It Up has been so successful throughout the years and what I'm trying to achieve a lot more. This is my primary goal in 2020 is just the collaborative efforts. Sure. It's like, I think your backbone of success is based on the fact that you guys collaborate so well and you, you have such reach with, uh, getting streamers, getting vloggers, getting uh, so many different areas or, or members of the community to kind of like back your brand. And I think that's huge. And I think it's what really lacks on the other side of content creation, whether it be training or, um, uh, you know, basically anything that is aligned with some sort of company. Um, I, I think it's probably where Poker Central fails the most. I think it's probably where WSOP could do a better job. You know, when we start talking about these big brands, um, their collaborative efforts tend to be very, very, very small and niche. So it's like Poker Central World Series, Triton, and Party will all find a way to collaborate. But that doesn't really unify anything but the high roller circuit. Mm-hmm. So it's like if if I were running Poker Central, I would be trying to get the entirety of uh, at least United States tours to kind of like unify and ensure there isn't overlap. Right, so I would be trying to coordinate like WPT deep stacks with WSOP circuits with uh, HPTs and like all this other stuff. It's like now we really have a foothold on all of the fucking content. Yeah, and not in a way where you know I'm I'm saying like you should be the power to be, but more so like you get to move a lot bigger pieces that way, and and content derives off of it. Totally, totally. I think unification is inevitability. Um, no, th- that's not true. It, it is what we should strive for. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm glad. I'm glad we're doing this. I, I hope we can do this more. Honestly, yeah, for sure. Um, and I know we have plans for some broadcasts. I, I don't know when this is going to come out, but maybe uh, this-, this will be out Monday. So it'll be right after our first broadcast. Okay. So yeah, we're doing. Um, you know, like a just a not a sit and go, but a cash game. Cash yeah. game, right? Yeah. Uh, and we should have like poker out loud elements in there, yeah. which is really cool. Yep. Love what you guys do with that. I think sometimes, Berkey, uh, your your commentary can be, and I've said this to Chin, uh, your commentary and his commentary can be a little bit um, too much, man. Like yeah. it, it's it's too high level, right? Um, and 
I respect it. Don't get me wrong. I, I recognize that you are a much better player than me, but it, sometimes it's so hard to consume it because I just have no clue what the hell is going on. Yeah. You know, when, when you and Nick talk, I know you guys, like, sometimes it's like, oh, I understand 20% of this conversation. Bro, yeah. him and I conversing is a dick-waving contest. <laughs> it's just like, who can get in the biggest word yeah. to stump the other? Uh, I mean, and it doesn't, it doesn't start off that way, and it doesn't mean to be that uh-huh. way, but it does turn into something where it's like, we're only speaking to each other and not the audience any longer. Yeah. That's why Chin's so good at navigating this role. And like, honestly, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. I think you're great at it too, where um, you need rain reined in sometimes, right? Because it's like, when Nick and I start rabbit holing, we could start getting into some existential shit that is like pretty deep and yeah. out there. And now all of a sudden, like we're almost speaking a foreign language. Yeah. And I agree with like the commentary. Some of the best commentary I think I've done is like with Lon and Norm because like they're really there to, to set the stage and like rein it back in. And they ask the right questions. They ask questions that won't yield a, a super high level response. But it's also like a little bit of ego on my side where I constantly feel like I'm being judged and need to kind of prove, uh, not necessarily like my worth, but more so that like what you see isn't necessarily what's going on upstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's really easy to just take a certain play, look at it on the surface and be like, that person definitely doesn't know what they're doing. Um, and, you know, given a platform to kind of like justify or analyze other people. That's why like, I admire Nick so much uh, showman in this instance oh. where, um, you know, he's, he toes that line better than anybody I've ever seen. It's like, he can hit you with, 90 seconds of the highest level shit and then just like work in this nice little uh low level joke that kind of ties it all in sure yeah i think he has a gift of uh as you said going with very high level stuff that i just like oh okay well i I just have to take your word for it because i I have no clue what you're actually talking about like you know whether he's talking about like rage construction whatever it might be right um, but for the most part, it's like layman, 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 layman. And then boom, like, hey, don't forget. I know what the hell I'm talking yeah. about. I think he's like very Tony Romo-esque. Tony uh, Romo will start saying like, oh, yeah, this is a Z zipper to the right. And everybody's just like, what? Yeah. And then they literally run the play and it's exactly what he said it was going to be. And he'll just break it down in simple terms. And it's yeah. just like, I learned something. You know what? I think you did a, a great example of that uh, when we were talking about um, – uh, athletics and you're like oh yeah, yeah my my max vo2 or i don't know yeah, yeah. i don't know what the fuck vo2 is or yeah. max vo2 uh, but uh, you know context clues i can kind of understand right, yeah, it. and yeah, then yeah. you go on with the conversation so you just hit a little bit but sometimes you and nick man you guys go super dense i thought the last one the one right before this was was great it was very enjoyable to listen to both of you uh, we didn't but, talk about poker that much. That's no, why. No, you didn't. <laughs> you guys go down rabbit holes and it's super, super difficult to yeah to just understand. You should you should see us like when we're locked in a cabin for oh, a week. Oh, I'm together. sure it's bad. I'm sure. Are you are you doing that anytime soon? The the whole cabin thing again? Uh, so we are going to like the entire team uh is going to Austin the first week of March. Okay. Uh, we got invited to Texas Card House yeah. for their fifth anniversary. So we're going the fifth to the tenth. Um. It should be a good time. I, I'm honestly like, I very rarely look forward to traveling or trips or anything like yeah. that. I'm really, really, really pumped about this one. Yeah. And I can't even really figure out why. Like, I don't love playing low limit poker. Um, but the picture that was painted for me just sounds like it'll be fun, even if I try not to have fun. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh, and then also, I'll just have like three days on the lake. Well, I think, you know, 
again, what, what really excites me about the Run It Up Arenas is like, I get to interact with the community. Yeah. Like I get to see some are new face. I'm sure a lot of them are going to be new faces, but th- this is like your stretch into like, uh, the, the people are no longer coming to me. I'm actually going to them and we get to interact in their home setting. Yeah, that's you true. Know? And, and I get to be the guest yeah. to, to some extent. Yeah, yeah. that is true. I, I feel like far less pleasure, pressure to perform or like to uh, have some sort of agenda or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's just kind of going to be like get to go to a poker room where people are actually coming because they want to play with us or they don't, but the action is going to be good, whatever. Yeah. Um. And yeah, like that. that seems nice. That seems like pretty relaxed get to splash around a little bit uh i get to make bad plays and not have anybody criticize me for it or whatever the case may be and i just you know if i want to try to play really really tough i don't have to not do so because they're my student or like we have meetup games after our, our last meetup game we had uh was right after the academy and it was like filled with 80 percent students and i fucking wrecked them and i feel so guilty like we're playing one two and I won three thousand dollars. Oh my god! And it's just like I don't want to do this. I honestly like walked out with like my head hanging, like oh. But like I just can't help it. And there's part of me during it where it's like maybe they'll learn through the example of them setting. Like I made like uh, a a one and a half x pot turn bet and a two x pot river bet where like my student's hand was literally face up uh-huh. and like you know my line is thin but it's appropriate given the information that i had and like the hand that i had or whatever the case may be and i just remember like chin being like you didn't have to even bet the river why did you bet 2x pot and i'm just like well because because i had to man it was so clear that he had top pair and was never folding and like you know i I don't know what else to do. I can't turn it off. Like, hopefully he learned from that. That's all, that's all I can walk away with. But the only moral I had is like, I don't want to play in, in meetup games anymore. So you got to get people like dinner or something. something yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Loop it's back like, around. Next time you're in town, like I'll, I'll take, I gave him a free year to the subscription site afterward. <laughs> I was just like, listen, like I'm, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And this will be very helpful. So like, let's try to learn from this experience as best we can. Um, way back when man i wish i i remembered it but it's like ways to train um god it's based on the art of war and it was for like 2d fighting games okay in particular and they're they were talking about certain types of people you know the casual the the super pro one of the people were like the never turn off switch yeah so it's just like it could be a seven-year-old girl and you're making sure that you perfect her in no, it's true. Uh, it's true, man. I don't, <laughs> I, I struggle so, so much with this yeah. sports too. And, uh, to, to a bad degree in the sense that like when I do turn it off, it's, uh, it's, it's like very damaging for me. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's like one of those things where it's a, it's almost a form of self-sabotage where my version of turning it off is, uh, basically creating a dynamic where I can convince myself I didn't try. Therefore it's okay to lose. And like that for me is like kind of crippling because it's something that I, it's like a paradigm that I set up for myself throughout my life Mm -hmm. where I always had this fail safe. So it's like, if some negative event occurred, then I could just be like, oh, well, I didn't put all my effort into it anyway. What's, what's the difference? Of course. Have you ever been addicted to anything? Any substance or anything like that? No. I'm just wondering because, um, you know, like it, it almost sounds like you're, you have set up a system where you're just super scared of falling back into 
um, complacency. Yeah. You know, and, and I loathe it. Yeah. I loathe complacency. I'm my worst self sure. whenever I have like some feeling of complacency to the point where like I'll create chaos and like it's very destructive. So like I'll create turmoil in a relationship or I will uh, lose money so that I can feel what it feels like to be broke again and have to like climb the mountain. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like it really is like but I'll burn the company to the ground if we wake up one day and we're suddenly making 100000 a month. I'll just light this motherfucker on fire <laughs> or I'll find some other way to like, you know, self-destruct in some sort of way because it's like where there's no growth and like when I'm not waking up trying to be a better version of myself than I was yesterday, uh -huh. I just utterly fail. Okay. So what happens when your back is broken? You literally can't do stuff. Is it? <laughs> I, I, I'm miserable, man. What, what are you going to do? I, I'll, I'll power through. I mean, I hurt my back in October and I know I'm not doing myself any service, sure, but it's yeah. like, I've missed like four days of training since October. And you, you saw me today. I can't even stand up straight. Yeah. yeah. This isn't the first time. This is the fourth or fifth time. Are you going to let yourself rest? Like your body rest? Are you still going to, are you the type of person that's like, well, I can still do dumbbell presses. Yes. That's me. A hundred percent. I'm probably going to go to the gym after we do the test. Uh, it's, 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 here's, here's what will happen. I'll go to the gym. Uh huh to do soft tissue work. Yeah. So I'll go there to roll out, <laughs> try to stretch a little bit, get myself feeling okay, and then I, I'll feel okay. And the second I stand up perfectly straight, I'll say, okay, here are the six things that I can do, <laughs> and I'm gonna go do them. <laughs> and then tomorrow I'll be a little bit worse for wear. It's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have an off switch. You know, my, uh, my fiance is actually the one that taught me about balance. Like, without her, I was the same way. So when I was back in esports, I had a full-time job, it would be you wake up at like 7 or 8 a.m., mm -hmm. go work, come back at 5 or 6. Um, I eat. I stream for four to eight hours, go to the gym afterwards because we had a 24-hour gym. Yep. Um, and then by around like 3 to 4, I go to sleep. That's madness, man. And then I wake up and do it again. Yeah. You know? And it wasn't until her where she was like, you actually can't do that. Yeah. Like your body won't do that. Yeah. You're, you're just going to bust yourself up every single time. And then you get into a mode where you actually can't do stuff. And then you lose, you get complacent right. Right, when you're, you're recovering. And I realized that the balance, you know, it's kind of like what you guys were talking about with aggression in your last part. Aggression is like the most defensive play that you can make. Yeah. Um, it, it's that same thing where like balance is actually the most rigorous that you can be. Yeah, that's, but, that's probably very true. Uh, and it's, it's, I definitely lack that checks and balance in my life. It's, uh -huh. it's probably like why I kind of struggle, um, not necessarily with prioritizing stuff because I do recognize the importance of balance. And I do think I do, a, a, at least prior to having a company for sure, uh -huh. I did a good job of like giving priority to, to whatever was necessary, be it relationships or physical health or, uh, my career or whatever. But the, the company itself really tore down my concept of all that and i began to over prioritize it because like this is one of those things where it's just like the failure that comes with it if it doesn't succeed is so much more monumental um in so many ways not not just ego like if you fail uh -huh. poker it's mostly just your ego that takes a shot and then your your liberties and freedom a little bit right but like if you fail trying to develop something this large now square one starting from scratch is pretty tough yes there isn't like a a, a super fruitful outlook you know no, it's no, not no, like no. oh i'm just gonna start another company 
you know, you probably exhausted a lot of resources financially, time-wise. I'm 38 now. I started this thing at 34. It's like there's a big difference here. Yeah. Uh, I've taken a big step back from poker too. I'm playing like four or 500 hours a year instead of like twice or three X that amount. So why are you doing all this? I love it, man. I really do. And I think it has uh, a much more profound big picture trajectory mm -hmm. uh, way beyond poker. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I feel like I... I don't feel like I mastered poker. I don't think anybody will ever master poker, but I feel like I reached a level of mastery in some sense where I can always derive, not maybe not always, That that's too finite, but for the foreseeable future, I can derive profit from poker that will at least sustain myself. And because that's as secure as a poker player could ever be, right? Like we'll never be so secure in our finances or uh, our ability or anything like that. To just say like, okay, passive income, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? But I felt like I, I reached a level of uh, understanding, knowledge, talent, whatever you want to call it, that was sustainable and secure that I could start to move laterally into other things. And I just so desperately want to move big pieces. Like, But uh, what about what, what about content creation that really speaks to you? Because like you could have moved into day trading or sports betting or something like that. Yeah, that, that stuff's but... not for me. No. It, it's just not. Like I want to touch people. I want to have impact on, on the yeah. greater good. Uh, really, it started with... So that should be your goal when you do your meetup games. <laughs> what is? Except there's money on the line. I know. <laughs> it's like, I have a really difficult time juggling those two things. Sure, yeah, like, yeah. Nothing about poker is altruistic. It's totally. So totally. it's just like, that That side of me definitely shuts off. That's my competitive side. You know, that's what got me into sports and athletics and everything else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the rest of me is more like what you'll see in my writing, in this podcast, whatever. And honestly, like, yeah, that, that was a lot of what it was. When my mom died and I wrote the blog that for you know my experience went viral i think it in i think in like 48 hours it had something like 10,000 hits huh. um which i had never experienced anything like that before it was just like oh man like all i did was tell a story about like someone else's life that impacted me and it touched all these people and the feedback was just so resoundingly positive it was just like okay like maybe maybe there's something to this and I wrote a little bit more. I started to like get into my backstory and stuff. And it had a nice response. And then the Pigtail guys came into my life. Uh, and it was just like, hey, like we can document stuff. Like This stuff's becoming popular. And there's a platform for it. And once all of that became kind of true, I guess I, could, I, I had the big picture vision of like, this turns into something. And I don't necessarily see the A to Z path yet. Mm -hmm. But I can see like the end result of... Um, being able to, I, I guess, like touch other markets, being able to have like widespread reach. That's kind of the beauty of the internet. Like never before have we had worldwide reach just at the touch of our hand. Yeah. You know, I would say the main reason why I've been doing what I'm doing here is um, I believe in the cause, yeah. like um, with Run It Up and, you know, how I truly, you know, we say like, oh, we want to bring the fun back into poker, but really we're, we're building a community that is, authentic mm -hmm. in my opinion and i i love the people in there yeah. like there are again like deb swift um you know i don't want to go right some of my best friends yeah. have come from the run it up community yeah you know um some of the people that were my best friends uh worked for run it up or, or you know trained some of the other people inside of run it up and to me it's like Again, documenting those memories, very similar to you. 
Um, it's just like so important to me working with Jason, working with Randall, working with honestly the rest of my team, Crystal's in there, Joe's in there. Like it's so, so much fun to do it. Yeah. Um, and we just happen to be doing We happen to be in poker. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's something unlike any other field too, which makes it a lot easier. Like poker is vastly different than esports. Right. Um, and I think that there's a ton that each of the the communities can learn from each other. Like, yeah, I agree with that. You, um, poker is just, it's a way of, to me, it's a lifestyle. Like, it's a way to look at the world just vastly different. Mm-hmm. And then once you learned, the, you know, the the, the baseline, uh, whether it's GTO or whatever it is, um, you get exposed to an, a game, in my opinion, like in esports, and the concepts in there that adjust so much of what you do in poker. Yeah. You know, it's like super, super fascinating. Yeah. I think there's a big crossover uh, existence between poker and ten, tens of hundreds, maybe uh, other communities, markets, whatever the case may be. It's really just a means of trying to figure out like where we fit because a lot of those other markets are huge and saturated. So um, incentives still have to align. You know, we're, we're not just going to suddenly like shut down a poker company and become a content creator for like all these other industries just for the sake of it. Sure. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that like there's there's a means to an end there. There's definitely a path. It's just about doing good work and and standing behind like what what it is that you do. Um, like, I'm super excited. We have a documentary that's going to be coming out. I know we've been teasing it for like eight months, but it'll be coming out sometime um, probably in spring. And I think that like I legit and maybe I did, this is just a pipe dream, but I legit think that there's a solid chance that uh, a big player ends up picking it up, be it Netflix, Amazon, whatever the case may be. Um, so initially, it's only going to be behind our paywall and PokerGo. Uh, we partnered with them. What's what's the documentary about? Uh, it's called To Be Determined. And for a year, we followed around um, actually one of Chin's closest friends uh-huh. who uh, kind of came up in the underground scene with him was playing as big as like 1020 and now literally uh, plays like one, two to try to make like, you know, 1200 bucks a month to, to fulfill his monthly nut. Uh, so it's kind of like this, it's kind of like this tale of the other side of poker that is probably hitting home with a much, much, much larger subsection of the community than something like dead money would be where it's like this rise to high rollers and, and stuff like that. Like people can't relate to that. How do you feel about the idea of poker? Is poker a hobby or is poker something that you could reliably or you should reliably teach people to sustain their lifestyle or I think, subsidize? I think in its current state, it is best for somebody who's willing to uh, use it as sub, uh, a means to subsidize their income. So I think the most successful people that we'll see come out of like the next 10 years are going to largely be people who were playing while working. Um, That's not to say that they'll maintain that the whole way through. Eventually, Mm -hmm. maybe they'll just be strictly a professional poker player. But I think uh, the more that we understand about volatility, variance, uh, bankroll requirements, all these things that weren't really that apparent from 2003 to like maybe 2013. um, And as the game gets a little bit tougher and a little bit more competitive uh you just need way more to reach that upper echelon of security and you know like i kind of mentioned that there isn't any real security in this game outside of your knowledge of the game 
So uh, I think people will be doing themselves a service by like working 20 hours elsewhere and playing 20 hours a week or, or whatever the case may be. Hmm. Do you think you're like, I, I know I'm probably like gold league in, in uh, poker. So I can't really like quantify exactly where you guys hit or mm-hmm. like what market, like where is it that, what, what is the type of player that you're trying to um, target with your yeah. your brand. So this has always been the the conflict that we have. I think the person that we help the most is the long-term live grinder. Mm. The guy who's been playing 25510 for the last 10 years and can't seem to break through. Like I think that's the target for where like I can offer the most value. But our actual audience is exactly what I just described. It's uh people who are on the come up who are playing while working. You know, they have full-time jobs, they have uh, disposable income, um, but they're hungry. And they don't necessarily want to be full-time pro, but they at least want to be able to attain a level of competency in this game where they can consistently make more money year in and year out. Uh, And honestly, like, it was a pleasant surprise because they're good learners uh, for the most part. Like, and, And I'm not saying that in a way where they don't have pushback, but I'm saying in a way where they're receptive and they have... Uh, good capabilities to learn. A lot of the people that I'm saying I could offer the most value to are either too proud or too stubborn to really want to change what had worked in the past. So the few that do ultimately come through um, are ones who don't have those barriers. And they're rare. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, there's this story that I, I always tell of this kid that I used to grind with for like half a decade, maybe longer. We used to like play a lot of 510 whenever I first moved out here. I eventually graduated the higher stakes and I just always thought he was a nit. Um, so he never made it past 510 really. And when I first started the company in 2016, um, I was staking Brian at the time, my manager, and he was playing 510 at the Bellagio. And this kid had just gotten stacked again and like turns around and sees Seaver in Bobby's room. And he like looks back at the table and he goes, do you think for $20,000 or, or sorry, do you think for $10,000 I could just like go tell Seaver all of these spots where I keep losing and he would just fix it for me. And Brian very quickly responds and goes, no, but for 3,500, uh, you can come to the Academy and Berkey will like help you. And he just looked at him deadpan and goes, I'd rather pay Seaver 20,000. Fair enough. And it's just like, okay. I mean like, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but that seems like a personal attack, but it's yeah, not yeah. if, if, if how, how, how did, how did your name get so synonymous with the just like, um, I don't know. Like I feel like either people, uh, are ruthlessly against you or they feel ambivalent to, I mean, I guess I'm talking about the whole spectrum, but I feel like there's like an overwhelming unnecessary amount of negativity towards you. Yeah. I, I think that, um, I think my, my public persona, uh-huh. comes off very brash it it can definitely you have yeah. a lot of dan o'brien aspects about you yeah uh, and the funny part is i don't think that i think they're from dan <laughs> i honestly think that it was like from just battling dan for so many years uh-huh. Uh-huh. that uh i absorbed a lot of that but it's like uh-huh. i've always just been like the quiet confident type um and i've never been one to i, I honestly like uh and i'm saying this as a as a kudos to dan like he really did encourage me in a lot of ways to speak my mind, even if just like leading by example in that way. Um, But I've never like shied away from confrontation either. 
or or you know basically giving my opinion or or what I believe to be true. What I loved about Dan when we were uh, learning Starcraft or he was learning Starcraft was he had an opinion about everything. Yeah, and he was fine with being wrong with it. Yeah, but he had that opinion, and then we could target that opinion. Yeah, you know it's a lot easier to go with that than to say like oh I don't know here so I just did this. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not rooted in anything. Yeah, that I, I, I'm very much the same and I wasn't necessarily always vocal about it, but uh, I've always been the exact same way where it's just like I beat to my own drum. Uh, I'm always going to just pursue what I have some relative confidence in and generally I trust myself uh, when it comes to that stuff. And I'm not afraid to say I was wrong. Yeah. Like I'm not afraid to be humbled. Um, it's just like I'm also careful enough to make sure that I don't put myself in situations to constantly be humbled. So I think that like, yeah, I, I think it just comes off as I don't deserve what I have, I think is what most of the public would see is I'm a guy who doesn't play by the rules, who doesn't like color inside the lines, who's out there, uh, you know, playing in these nosebleed games because I socialize with the right people. I, you know, basically found my ways in and I stay in the games because I do things that the the quote-unquote community deems to be very very bad Mm -hmm. so you know it's like they don't see the whole picture they just see my twitter persona they see some shitty hands that i play on tv or whatever the case may be and it makes me very hateable i see yeah it's funny like obviously i think everybody has seen a ton of videos about you know hands that you play that are just like absurd yeah and crazy whether it's a bad beat or not yeah um you know I, i do feel like People love to make content about you. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny. Hands. The the poker guys had an entire playlist of hands that were dissecting by me. Uh-huh. And I kind of like called them out a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, just in a way where I, I have nothing against what they do. And I didn't even care that they were using my hands. My issue was that they were just so, um, they were so self-righteous about the way they were doing it. Mm. Right. It was so black and white and no gradient where it was like, this is good. This is bad. And here are our reasons why. Uh, and basically all I said, I, I threw a little shade their way. I was like, I'm not positive. These guys are beating two five and they're criticizing hands that are played at 200, 400. And that just seems to me like this wild paradox that seems to only exist in poker yeah. and something that we just accept. And it's like, these guys are getting tens of thousands of views, uh, by basically like giving their opinion on something where I don't think they could perform themselves. And that's probably another reason why, like, I'm so hateable is because like, I'm willing to take that stance. Uh, and it wasn't personal. It's like, I have nothing against those guys. I like those guys. I've met those guys. I've done a podcast with those guys, but it is one of those things where it was a good thing. In my opinion, it was a good thing in the industry to point to and say, this is where we get it wrong Hmm. and we need to do something about it. And, you know, maybe I'm only defending myself in this instance. Yeah, it's, it's tough. The sometimes I do think that the delivery, both with you and Dan, uh, are the only things that are stopping you guys from, um, having you know that i don't i don't know exactly what it is but like escalating mm-hmm. because I, I think everything that you say is right yeah but people just sometimes especially with dan hate the way that he says yeah stuff. the presentation's very 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 yeah. cut and dry and, and even when you say things like oh well us as a community should be um you know uh, we should adjust mm-hmm. you know it's almost like now you're the self-righteous one Right. You're the one that's saying like, guys, we can be better than this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's just, it makes it so that, uh, people want to argue with you. Yeah. 
Well, like I said, I, I like getting into arguments. It's, it's hard to diffuse those spots, yeah. no matter how you cut it, right? Right. Because... Well, well, what Dan used to be very good at when he was media Dan uh-huh. was being political Dan. Uh, so, like, you're only more familiar with the new version of Dan, which I actually like a lot more. Okay, yeah. Uh, he used to be so, so precise. I mean, like, he would he would run tweets by me, like, days before he would tweet them. Because he wanted so clear to be on message. No, he's brand. brutally pedantic. Yeah. I, I, I recognize that completely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He loves yeah. to do that shit. And it's just like, dude, uh, when you start doing that, uh, nobody listens to you. Right. Anymore. To me, that's inauthentic. Correct. So I would much rather just be the polarizing figure who like gets it out there. Yeah. And if you disagree, like, okay, burden of proof's on you. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll have that debate. You know, a lot of what you do, uh, and I don't know whether or not that I'm accurately able to quantify your course because I haven't obviously taken it. But to me, it's like uh, we kind of have this in StarCraft as well, where mm-hmm. it's like you can do textbook play, and that is completely fine. Yep. But against this exact player, uh, you can just cut out like 30% of builds that they're ever going to do. Mm-hmm. And then now there's a new efficiency because you're only against these 70%. So you don't have to cut you know, the... Yeah, you know, I always say you can invest in three different spaces, economy, technology, and army, right? And now you don't have to worry about building that army so you can just invest in the other two. Yeah. And that's how I see that you're trying to do. Yeah. You know, it's uh, very... Essentially, like, what you're saying uh, is a course in deductive reasoning. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately, like, what we try to speak to. So um, that's why I think this has such for, such wider reach than poker. Because, like, if you sit through a three-day academy, like, yeah, we're, we're teaching you things about poker and we're teaching you uh, both abstract and mechanical uh, tools. But at the end of the day, poker is just the vehicle. Like, we're really teaching a three-day course in deductive reasoning. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to logic through a lot of these unique situations that are very commonly presented. So, uh, I mean, it becomes a whole lot less of here's your template to take away. And a whole lot more of like, let's start asking bigger questions and just following the scientific method until we start to arrive at some confidence in our results. You had you said you had two different types of people. You thought you were you know uh, gearing yourself more or targeting yourself more towards the five, ten, ten, twenty, you know, full time people. Mm-hmm. You ended up getting the hobbyists more. Yeah. Um, who do you think, or do you even have this data of like who's been more successful? I'm sure you've had both type of people mm-hmm. that come through but do you feel like the the the, the people that have their full-time jobs and are doing full, are they the ones that are taking more away from the academy than the other i don't know that they're taking well hmm. i think it's just different mm. um first they outweigh the 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 quote-unquote grinding pro um probably like four or five to one but i think the takeaways are just very uniquely different where uh the the pro will take away a new lens to see the game and they'll suffer through some growing pains because yeah. you're really challenging a paradigm that they've been operating from for a long, long period of time. Yeah. And that takes some growth. So the ones who stick with it tend to perform very well in the long run. The the hobbyist or I guess the people who are like subsidizing their income and coming through, their paradigm doesn't really exist. They've been on fragile ground from day one so and they've they, just been looking for They guidance. can just embrace what you're yeah. saying. Super so easy. like their big takeaway, ultimately, the vast majority of the feedback that I get is not this helped my game so much, so much more as it helped change the lens through which I see life. Um, and that's opened a lot of doors for me. I've had like 
I think in the last year I've had four uh, corporate speaking events where um, one student in particular uh, is a high up in Silicon Valley and he's just like, this parallels to everything that we do. And I mean, I, I'm, in, I'm in there speaking to like a finance group. It's like, I don't know anything about finance. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, compared to them. Yeah. Um, but it, it doesn't matter because like all that I'm in there to do is speak in terms of problem solving and deductive reasoning through a lens of, um, you know, kind of stripping away emotion and asking the right questions. And those questions parallel to any single uh, community or, or ecosystem. It's like you have to start big and with a zoomed out approach and say, like, you know, what's the root cause problem? So, like, effectively, everything I'm framing is around root cause solutions. Uh, and, and the example I always give at the academy is, like, you know, who here, basically, I'll just, like, pose the question of, like, who here hates Jacks? And, you know, you'll always get the people who just have that emotional attachment to jacks and they'll just like raise their hands just like they don't truly hate jacks uh it's just they've had a bad experience numerous times it's like okay well uh you know let's start to ask the questions as to why and they'll just be like oh an over always falls or um you know i i don't win big pots with them but i lose big pots yada 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 and all these other things it's like okay well why and we just keep drilling down on the whys until we start to realize like well the reason you hate jacks is because you're devoid of bluffs in all of your post-flop lines. And the reason you hate jacks is because you lack pre-flop construction. And now this hand gets drastically overplayed to compensate for the times that you have 5-4 suited under the gun mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right? So now we start to drill down on these like big, big, big things that are holding people back. And it's like, okay, great. Now that we're here and that you're open, I can fix this, right? So here's your non-Band-Aid solution. Here's the list of questions and the protocols that you're going to run through yeah. every time you make a decision to play a hand, every time you make the decision to see bet, to call a bet, whatever the case may be, you're going to run through this list and you're going to come with better responses that allow you to now actually logically deduce what the next play is. I think what's so difficult about poker is that um, the moments that you get into are so fleeting because mm-hmm. they don't happen all that often. Right. Um, you know, you, you take a chess game, a lot of positions transpose into the same position or yeah. very similar positions. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, this kind of looks like the you know French transpose or whatever. Um, and you can you can look back in and say like, oh, okay, well, um, we can recognize that this move is a mistake or this thought process is a mistake. Whereas poker, not only is it hard to identify it sometimes, but it's also uh, hard to catch it. Yeah, you yeah, Because yeah. it's like... Right, because the feedback loop isn't, is invariance free. Like in chess, if you do something well, you get immediate positive feedback. Yeah. In poker, like you might just lose. Yeah. And now you're just left with more questions and they're the wrong questions. Or they're they're the different types of errors, right? Yeah. Like you could win yeah. and it reinforces bad things. Right. Or you can lose and it reinforces bad things. Well, that, that's really the big thing is that when you win, there are no questions. Yeah. You just take it. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. When you lose, the questions start to mount. And the problem is if you make the right play and lose and now start running through this litany of questions that are all wrong, they're all just based on a negative feedback response, right? Now all of a sudden you start to really mind fuck yourself because you're trying to build some sort of constructed strategy that has to deal with this constant like insecurity based on the fact that like you aren't positive what was correct. Yeah. You know, as a just like a, a human being, it seems like um, to me, just the process of solving the problems for your students is mm. like 
or again, I, I don't know much about, I, I say I don't know much about poker. I've still played like, you know, a, a good amount of hands, yeah. especially in short tech. Yeah. Um, but like I, I'm nowhere near that top level. Um, but just to me, like it sounds like you have the system in place to not only catch, uh, identify, but catch mistakes that people do. And just for that reason alone, I think m- the majority of people don't have that capacity. Right. Right. It's very hard for them in poker. And I, that's why I think to me, the Academy is, um, it seems very valuable. Yeah. I, I mean, what we're essentially trying to do is give them some sort of objectivity, even though it's not truly objective. But basically some sort of like feedback that can better train their subjectivity, mm-hmm. right? Because like at the end of the day, and this is why it's really geared towards live poker. It's not going to necessarily transpose into online all that well because you're dealing with such mass data and the data is just going to reign supreme. But in in live where that data is just completely lacking and you're kind of left to your own devices and people just act on a whim so emotionally yeah. all the time. What is the field right, compared to you know, online. No one knows. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, it's just so different in every single isolated spot is so different than the last, Mm -hmm. but yet so dependent on the last one too, because if you just got sucked out on now, you might make this error where you wouldn't have otherwise and all that. So essentially what we're just trying to do is train their subjective mind into a pathway that's disciplined. And through that discipline, begin asking these right questions that are just simple protocols that will never steer them wrong. So it's like the second you're feeling emotional, the second that you have a desire to win this pot more than you should, or uh, you feel an attachment to something or whatever, run through the protocols and they'll strip away all of that emotion and you'll be back to deductive reasoning. Yeah. To us in StarCraft, it's called a build order. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. You know, you just make sure you check through uh, and, and it expands to build order. Like there's a certain list of rotations that you should do. As soon as you attack, you like, you make sure you check all the things that your base is fine before you actually execute the attack or else, you know, your macro is going to slip, your micro is going to slip. So uh, again, it's, it's in every single field Yeah. and not many people to me, not many people follow that regimen to be able to. Oh, it's so, so hard. I mean, even like with the guys who buy in. Yeah. They can't even construct it. Right. You know, they don't even know it's, they should be thinking about it this way, you know? But we, we do it a lot with, I would say, sports, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We do it more with sports. Um, you know, the... Well, that's the difference. Practice in poker is expensive. Yeah. You know, if you're playing a sport, you can just show up every single day and run through drill after drill after drill after drill and get some sort of response. Uh, the drills that we have available to us in the training realm, the, I, I'm sorry, like, I, maybe I'm I'm on a different plane here, but, like, online and live just don't really coexist well yeah so like when you're training on dto or wpt trainer for these gto spots it's like you're in a vacuum you're only solely training to a vacuum scenario and yes it's going to make you better and it's going to root the fundamentals in you a little bit better but you're really doing yourself a disservice in an environment where like money is so up for grabs it's like if you're only opening seven percent from under the gun because that's what opens nine-handed in a vacuum you're really crippling yourself. There are a lot of hands you can play profitably in a really loose, bad environment. Yeah. I mean, uh, to, to just uh, piggyback off of the idea um, in, in baseball, let's say, there is a drill, I'm sure, I don't actually know anything about baseball, but I'm sure, sure there's a drill where you run from the plate to first base, and that's all you do. Yeah. You, you do that run. In poker, I would think that's like... It's called conditioning, Andre. Yeah, oh, whatever it is. <laughs> 
Um, in, in poker, to me, that would be something like you have tens for 10,000 hands and that's all you're playing. Right. Tens. Right. And you're in this position and that you play this position for a thousand hands. Yeah. This position for a thousand and that's it. It's so hard to be able to do something like that. Right. Well, especially because like of those thousand hands, the dynamics can be different. Wildly. You know, 700 wildly. times. But uh, to me, that's what proper training is. Right? right. I master, you know, let's say I'm only playing aces, kings, queens, ace, king. That's it. Right. I master how to play those four hands. Mm-hmm. And then I slowly, oh, let's add ace jack now. You know, let's yeah. add ace or ace queen, ace jack, that kind of stuff. That's how I went through StarCraft. Right. But it's but almost re- impossible to do that in poker. It obviously. also just won't function because they're of so course, con- they're of so course. conditional of one another. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if you only have that range, now your EV overall kind of goes down because your strategy is more transparent. Totally. But but what I'm saying is in StarCraft, I can go into training and only, I could say, hey. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, uh, You can choose one specific mechanic and just drill it. Yeah, and yeah. have a partner where it's not so, it's not crazy and just say, hey, I just want you to fast expand, that's it. Yep. And let's go over this. And, you know, the game can go wherever it wants, but let's just do that. Yeah. In poker, it's like, am I going to say, Berkey, can we train you know, my ace king against your 100% of range and let's do that right. for 10,000. It's just not reasonable. It's not only is it not reasonable, it wouldn't be helpful, right? The the, the feedback would just be so difficult to parse, um, especially because like variance is going to take a huge toll on it. Sure. But more importantly, like you're now only playing one hand, not a range. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like people aren't that bad at getting from thinking about uh, nothing to thinking about their hand and the coordination with the texture and stuff like that. Where people are really bad is getting to the point of thinking in terms of their hand versus a range. And then taking that one step further, thinking about their whole range Mm -hmm. and then their whole range versus a range. Which gets so tricky. Like, I understand what you're saying. I don't think I implement that at all in my game. Because it's just, it's so much work. Yeah. It's so much work to construct. You have to sit down. And the, again, the ease of training is the hardest part in poker as well. Yeah, I, I completely agree. We got to wrap. All right. (laughs) Conrad's going to kill me. Uh, This has been really enjoyable. I definitely want to do this again. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what your availability is. I'm just going to replace Chin. I'm for it, man. That's what we're going to do. I am going to be the new cultural quota. That's all for (laughs) a while. It's good. We we do a great job of checking all the boxes, man. Yeah. We we make sure that we have, uh, you know, enough ethnicity in here to color or to, to wash out. The super white folk. Like I was me. thinking about introducing myself as Christian Soto and just saying, man, the, the keto is really working. That'd be funny. It'd be, it's so great. See, we could have made an entry or I an know. intro out of that. That would have been good. Hello, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> I'm Christian Soto. You're watching Software White Podcast. Oh, so the keto actually took all of your energy too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he would, he would, he would, hello, everybody. Yeah. You guys don't even see what happens Welcome. off camera. Like, uh, before, or as we press record, whatever that Conrad cuts, Chin will be like, <laughs> okay <laughs> and then just like get into it yeah maybe maybe i'll do one of these podcasts with uh with soda if he ever comes back too god willing Come on. all right man we're gonna have you on again for sure i really appreciate it uh for anybody who wants to see more of what andre is up to uh head over to run it up tv is that right run it up tv dot tv yeah. um also we're gonna be doing a collab with them uh, which actually will probably be out by the time this comes out. Yes, so, um, but more in the future. Yeah, we definitely have more in the future for sure. So stay tuned. Thank you guys all for uh, tuning in. We'll see you next time.